Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is The Baseline, discussing the hot button topics of the NBA. Welcome everybody, you're tuned to The Baseline, Cali Warnshaw, discussing the hot button topics of the NBA, and we are finally here. Um, it has been nothing short, but awesome, amazing, uh, fantabulous, as the NBA playoffs have left us with um, quite a lot for us to digest. And yet there's still so much more uh, on this journey to the NBA Finals to go. So um, I'm sure for those of you who've been watching uh, and been and looking at this, oh yeah, there's some things to talk about if you're if you're uh, if you're a playoff enthusiast. But as always, man, the focus and attention isn't just on the playoffs. It's also on those who were not able to sustain and be able to participate in the playoffs. That's right. It's that time for us to do our coveted autopsy reports. So, as always, you know, Sean and I, man, while we while we always uh, bless the living, <laughs> we're here to raise up the dead. <laughs> and let me go around the red carpet to my right hand man, is my brother, Mr. Warren Shaw, ripping out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What's good, man? Hey, man, I'm excited to be here as always. This is again one of our our, our coveted segments, if you will, the fact that we try to go through all the teams and, you know, everybody else is focused on the playoffs. But again, as I always say, the baseline always goes against the grain a little bit. And the playoff coverage is, is hard right now. It's hard to do previews with the way the schedule is. So we're going to jump into these autopsies, talk about the teams that, you know, weren't able to stay amongst living, if you will, as you alluded to here for the NBA playoffs this year. I feel like we're in uh, what's that what's that movie with Brad Pitt? Uh, World War Z. I feel like it's just like too many of uh, too much is happening and, and like these autopsies tend to creep up. And I think we're, there have been opportunities in the last few years, especially with the pandemic being the way that it's been, that we haven't been able to sustain getting through them. But I guarantee you, we will find our way. We have we have developed the proper technology for us <laughs> to be able to make sure that once we raise the dead, we we uh, we we maintain them. <laughs> we we put them we put them back in the grave <laughs> after we dig we dig them up and uh, dig up them holes and, and 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 bury up them bodies, man. But um, it's actually really good because I think sometimes we get so caught up in what's happening that we don't have an opportunity to look back on where all of these teams um, have succeeded and have failed. And I think that's one of the important aspects in us doing the autopsy report. While it's really playful in the idea and the way that we um, are kind of laying out our conversations in regards to these teams, I, I think part of this is keeping the conversation going. And if you're a fan of these teams, listen, are we saying that these guys and, you know, based off of what we assess and think, going to turn around and, you know, suddenly be, you know, a uh, conference finalist or anything like that? Probably not. But it, it does speak to more of the things that we're hoping to see these teams get better at doing. Or, you know, at least it focuses the attention on some of the moves, acquisitions, and dare I say, even what happens during um, the uh, NBA draft. 
that points us a little bit in a direction based off of the conversations that we've had leading up to it that you know these teams are focusing on these things honing on these things to elevate themselves in that space where they hopefully should be participating in the playoffs for this upcoming season yeah i think those are great points and especially with where we're starting today um you know teams that were the eight seed <laughs> so they were in the playoffs um and there's a lot of circumstances that had them in that eight seed so to speak um, but they were unable to kind of get it done you know when the playing games actually arose so um some teams are not far off and some teams are but that's what we're going to go ahead and discuss here on the autopsy reports this season absolutely and as always we appreciate you and yours for hopping on board with us uh be sure to get my man shaw at shaw sports nba get at me at game face lead the show's twitter handle at nba baseline available on all the major platforms you know where to locate us just uh put the baseline in your search engine for whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and uh, add us on and allow us to be your go-to resource discussing all things happening in the association if you want to check out this episode and all of our other episodes, especially that awesome episode that we did uh, doing our first annual uh, 2022 uh, The Baseline Awards, which we've obviously been receiving some grand uh, reviews for, and we appreciate those who have chimed in and weighed in on that, uh, be sure to go to www.thebaselinenba.com. Um Remember that the baseline also rolls with the 19 Media Family Group. 19 Media runs these content streets. So go to www.19mediagroup.com so you can check out our episode and the family of great content that covers the gamut, whether it be culture, music, entertainment, sports, politics, you name it. We've got it. Um, they are the best at what they do. Um, and there's there's regulars as, as you and I, right? Like sometimes it's just great to hear People who do the everyday like we do, but offer great perspective and intellect and insight. And uh, so you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Um, all right. So let's get right into it. Um, you know, this is our episode where we're doing what we call our coveted autopsy reports. And our focus is going to be on two teams uh, This this uh, for this episode. It's going to be the uh, Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we'll first start up with the with the uh, with the Los Angeles Clippers. But before we do that, Shaw, I, I really am interested now because this does open up something that you just mentioned uh, just a second ago with regards to, you know, these teams were uh, playoff teams, right? Like they made the playoffs per se because they participated, one, in the play-in tournament. Two, they were seeded among one of the top eight teams but could not hold their seeding. They got eliminated respectively, Right. So we're going to first talk about the uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, and then we'll focus our attention to the Cleveland Cavaliers. But it opens up that question again on, was the play-in effective? Because of this situation and circumstance, does it reopen the door to say, man, is it really worth it? Like, you know what I'm saying? Being, being the eighth seed, does it force you that you should never be a seven, eight seed anymore if your intent is to participate fully into the playoffs or does it add that, you know, extra bite on the excitement that this has been implemented and does carry some, you know, uh, some excitement and, and drive for us, you know, to watch what we saw take place this past season uh, because of the fact that these two teams got eliminated. Yeah, I, I'm still for it. I think the question still becomes whether or not, you know, and, you know, shout out to even, you know, Nat uh, on one of the one of the spaces she put out there the other day. And I, I chimed in. And it was interesting because the the playing situation is now just whatever it is, you know, nine ten. like you get in regardless. And when they introduced it into the bubble, it was like right, we needed to be within X amount of games of the next seed in a sense to be able to qualify for the plane. If you didn't have X amount of games, then it didn't matter. So in the Eastern Conference, it was all very, very tight. <laughs> I mean, seven, eight, nine, ten, all roughly within a game of each other. Like that's 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 really that's tight. And then I, I can understand why it's like, all right, well, nobody really differentiated themselves. Go ahead and, and ride this out. But now you're looking at a situation in the West, and you know, for the first time, the West really wasn't the better conference. You know, by leaps and bounds, you have an under 500 team that was basically six games out of the next spot. It actually got and usurped a team that was over 500, you know what I mean? So the Pelicans get in at 36 and 46 in terms of the regular season record and actually get into the playoffs and a 42 and 40 Clippers team is out. So I think I, I do like the play in tournament. 
but maybe maybe it could be tweaked in essence to maybe kind of keep that. But you know, I don't know what that arbitrary number is. You know what I mean? Is like is two games close enough, three games close enough. Six seems a little lofty, but it is what it is, right? So it's 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 done what the NBA wanted in terms of giving it some extra uh, juice. There's obviously a lot of interest in what happens in the playing game ultimately. Um, but I would I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to maybe a uh, uh, a change that made the the nine ten teams have to be within a certain amount of games of the seven and eight teams. Well, it's interesting that you you took that perspective um, regarding your assessment regarding the play in, right? Um, I kind of look at it a little way. First of all, I I really do like the idea that the seven eight seeds do have something do have an impact um it's just the fact is is that it just feels like it's heavily weighed on them being impacted more than anything so it almost takes it almost takes the um the breadth of the accomplishment of getting in as one of the top eight teams because that's what we're so used to doing but again and i don't know if whether or not i've mentioned this before um listen i am not a a, a, a soccer fan uh, or football fan right um, not in the sense that I don't appreciate the game. I actually do watch the game a little bit, um, but I'm just not a fan of the rules and, and, and how they kind of play it sometimes. I, I, it's amazing to me that people find that there's such a high level of excitement in that, but then they hate baseball because <laughs> I feel like at times the game is almost as slow as watching baseball, okay? And their clock is, is, oh, is still moving, <laughs> whereas in baseball it seems like it never does. But the one thing I do appreciate is that if you are a, a lower team, right, um, I think it's it's what you call it, they're, uh, that they're regulated, right? And I almost feel like the focus should be on if you are a 7, 8, 9, 10 seeded team, okay, that you should play yourselves to the point where you are considered you know, among the top teams to participate. And I just think one game isn't, is not sufficient when it comes to these type of type of teams. Now, I know people don't like the idea because that means it's stretching this even longer or whatever the case may be. But this is a perfect example, if you look at this past season, where if, say, a team like the L.A. Clippers play the New Orleans Pelicans, do you think that a one-game situation was helpful knowing that their star player on the day of that game winds up losing out because of, quote-unquote, sickness, COVID-19 protocols, this and the third? I don't know why it's that big a deal for not for us to not see them play a best of three, okay? Um, to me, I think that that is the best way to truly assess. Now, I'm not saying that the, this would have changed anything. I mean, the Pelicans, they really played good basketball. They were on a hot streak coming into this season, and I would have been the first person to tell you, watch for this Pelicans team because I don't think people really appreciate how good they were. But I do think that there should probably be something to – probably give as much opportunity possible for these lower seeded teams to be properly to give everyone a proper chance to seed themselves in that kind of way because as the way i still look at it if you are the top two teams you essentially should be getting a buy and then you'll figure out who it is that you're going to wind up playing anyway where and the other teams are obviously you know there's nothing changing that you could have easily just gone ahead and started playing those dudes if you wanted to but to me i just feel like it's almost like these lower-seeded teams should be properly regulated to, to, to determine this. I get it. You, you want to in, involve and fuse the 7-8 a little bit to add a little drama, add, add a little bite to it. But at the same time, situations like what just happened this past season, I think kind of dampened that a little bit because I think if these teams actually did play a best-of-three series, would we really be talking about the Pelicans over the Clippers the way that the Clippers – would have probably been competing against the Pelicans. Yeah, I think just like fleshing that out, you know, there's there's opportunities there. I think if I were doing it and going with your model, maybe it's just the eight seed that's in that. You know what I mean? I'd right. probably take the seven seed out of that. And then, you know, the eight seed has to figure that out with, you know, maybe nine and 10 or whatever the case would be. So maybe nine, 10 play, you know, a one game play in, and then they play a best three of two out of three in a, versus the eight seed. Um, so again, there's ways to tweak it per se. Um, but again, like it's, oh, it's, it's, it's just, it's complicated. You know what I mean? The NBA is trying to infuse excitement and I think they definitely got that this year, especially with the team that everybody was given up on in New Orleans and, you know, without Zion and the whole nine and they get in, but it is kind of on a technicality because listen, the Clippers 
they, they beat that ass when they played them to end of regular season with Paul George back. Like the, the Pelicans came into LA and the Clippers handed them, you know, their tail. So now the PG PG had the, the COVID protocols and was out, you know, see Nolan's able to kind of pull that game out and Clippers still have their chances, opportunities. LA just kind of has to feel like they're a little bit slided and a little bit cheated and they didn't get, you know, the best of what they could have got out of the playing tournament. Absolutely. All right. So coming up, Sean and I will do our uh, first of the autopsy reports. We'll be talking about the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, this obviously is a team that fought and clawed their way uh, to get into the to, to the play-in. Um, we'll talk about Tyron Lue's job. We'll talk about the situation as it as it pertains as this team is getting ready to finally separate themselves from Los Angeles Lakers and eventually get themselves in their own arena. Have the Clippers um, elevated themselves to a point where they you know should be considered neck and neck to the Los Angeles Lakers as far as, you know, the battle for Los Angeles. Is there actually a true rivalries there? So there's a lot of things that we could probably unpack and look at with regards to what happened to the Los Angeles Clippers this season. Did they answer a lot of questions or did they actually raise more questions than answers? So a lot of that to get into. And then also we'll be talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers season as well, too. This and some more here on The Baseline. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Time to break it down. Put you down to the bone gristle. They're dead. Who's dead? My team. My team is dead! They knew we were coming, man. They knew we were coming. They're dead. They're all dead. Time now for the breakdown. Callie Warren Shaw, Baseline NBA Podcast. And for our breakdown, it's time for us to raise the dead. That's right, man. It's autopsy report season. And so we're going to go ahead and kick this off very nicely uh, with the first two teams who were unfortunately uh, eliminated, respectively, um, out of the NBA playoffs, the eight-seeded teams, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So let's first start off, Shaw, with the Los Angeles Clippers. And listen, um, anyone who looked at this situation in its totality would have said to you, damn, hell of a job by Tyron Lue, right? Um, basically got this team to be an above 500 basketball team. They became, uh, they were essentially an eight-seeded team uh, for the uh, NBA playoffs, or and then you know they wound up participating in the play-in tournament. Um, they got, you know, unfortunately got knocked out uh, by the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then they got knocked out by the New Orleans Pelicans. And you know, just as we were mentioning earlier before. You know, the circumstances of losing Paul George the night of the uh, play-in game uh, or the elimination game, um, excuse me, uh, certainly dampened their chances uh, for them to continue their, their playoff run for this year. But when you look at this team, Shaw, I, I think it kind of answered more of the same thing that I think we continually keep talking about with teams that are trying to position themselves. Depth, 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 and more depth, right? Like, I mean, how deep can you or should your team truly be when you know that you don't have your star players, um, when you're probably still trying to figure out what you have with the with with, with your you know young young stars? You know, this was patchwork orange for for Tyron Lue, but at some point this thing was going to eventually come to a head, 
because you just couldn't figure out whether or not they had enough bodies to put on that basketball court to compete when teams are coming into the play play in and the playoff situation almost at full strength. I agree. I think Ty Lue did an amazing job throughout the course of the year, um, not having Kawhi Leonard for the entire of the season. Paul George, I think, missed 51 games, you know, totally. And then obviously crucial, crucial missing that playing game as well. Um, they did get some lower level development, I think, in, you know, with a guy like Amir Coffey. Yeah, I mean, they, we saw some flashes of Brandon Boston here and there. Uh, but the rest of the roster just kind of um, wasn't what we would expect. It. I thought a lot of people, myself included, thought Terrence Mann was going to take a huge leap this year and Again, he was he was a roller coaster ride. I think as was as was a Clipper season kind of in its entirety. So, uh, not having what many people considered to be you know a first ballot Hall of Famer, Kawhi Leonard, um, and a guy who's in the top seventy five list as well too. Again, they knew that was going to be the case, and there was some rumbling that maybe he'd come back. But ultimately, it just proved to be too inconsistent. I think in terms of how they're able to score their points, Reggie Jackson. You know, he was Reggie Jackson. There was times where he was nuclear and there was times where yes. he was just absolutely abysmal. You know what I mean? And sub-zero when it came to his his shooting and his percentage and his shot selection. Mm-hmm. So this Clippers team, I said at the trade deadline, when they got Norman Powell and acquired Robert Covington and all that, I said, listen, they have a, an outside chance to maybe do something this year. But they were definitely building for the future. Um, it's a disappointing the way it ended, but... I, I don't think there's anything to cry about where they finished this year at 42 and 40 is not where I think they'll finish next year. Um, especially if they get everybody back. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a lot of great points. Um, let me first talk about the the situation with regards to Reggie Jackson. Cause you know me, I I've, I've rode Reggie Jackson, um, you know, quite often in regards to what he brings to, to a team. And, and I, and I humbled myself last year in saying, if there's a team that he actually can contribute and, and, and make a significant contribution to, it would be the Los Angeles Clippers. And listen, he's proven that. He has proven to be um, a, a valuable player for the Los Angeles Clippers. The problem is, and much like, you know, when you're utilizing uh, a certain piece of equipment, right, um, when you're playing a sport or a profession or whatever, that piece of equipment is good for however long you can help master that equipment. And then you realize that like any, you know, good profession or business, they'll develop some new technology or new equipment to make things more effective, more fluent, more efficient. And I think where this all comes to is you knew that when it comes to the point guard position, right, eventually you're going to have to elevate beyond a Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson is not your you know, final destination of what you want as the quintessential point guard to run and lead your basketball team. That's not a knock on him. I really think that he worked very hard so that he is a reliable tool. But now, if you're Tyron Lue, if you're Balmer, if you're, you know, if you're the Clippers exec, you have to start wondering, like, when are you going to look for that next step beyond that point, right? Because that's exactly where... The space is when you talk about guard play in the NBA. It's not like he's going in there revolutionizing. He's actually playing catch-up, right? And so part of me has always been, are the, the Clippers focusing on that part? Now, the interesting thing is I think they were trying to do that when having a guy like Paul George. I really think that they wanted to implement this style of basketball with a point-forward style from a two-way player is exactly what would have helped kind of balance that out so that it didn't have to go out there and put money in or invest money in the guard play aspect of things. Cause you certainly weren't going to get, weren't going to get that from Kawhi Leonard. He's your two guard. He's your, he's the guy that likes to come off the basketball. He shouldn't have to be dribbling the ball. So eventually, unless you're coaching up Reggie Jackson to be that guy, I think the fact that they never really addressed that part of it is one of the things that really hurt the, the, the Los Angeles Clippers unless you're telling me you were trying to do that when they got Norman Powell. Now I, I see what you're saying too. And as you, you know, as you're talking about this Clippers team, they, it really, it's been a, a struggle for them at the point guard position. Kawhi is going to come back and yes, he can give you four or five assists. PG can give you four or five assists, but you don't want those wings having to create, having to score and having to defend. And I think that's where Reggie was. It's, it, it was fine to have him, but now you've plugged him in as kind of, 
having to be like an elite level playmaker, not say elite level, but again, to be a consistent playmaker. And I think they were trying to have Terrence Mann do some of that as well. Like things just didn't work out there. So this team finished 16th overall in assists, you know, not terrible, but definitely could be better. Kawhi will absolutely help that. But, but like you said, I like to see them address that, that point guard's position more intently. And yeah, there are some big and splashy names that will probably become available in in some form or fashion. Obviously, John Wall in Houston maybe gets bought out, moves one way or the other. I don't think full stuff will want the, the Westbrook stuff. But a guy like Ricky Rubio makes a lot of sense for them. If you can pry Tyus Jones away from Memphis, potentially, that's a guy that can make a lot of sense for them. Um, Colin Sexton is probably a little bit more the same in Reggie, but maybe just a little bit quicker. Uh, better and obviously younger as well too so not really true true playmaker but guys like rubio tyus jones like that to me those guys can potentially make some sense for them um if they're looking to even if it's not a matter of bringing them in as starters but bringing them in to kind of kind of be backup roles per se and i think the coveted jewel out there would be a guy like jalen brunson um, but i don't know if they again they're going to be able to swing that because brunson's going to get a lot of attention but i agree with you playmaking in addition to some um, interior presence, I think they're going to have to figure that out because Ibaka didn't get them a whole lot, and then they obviously moved off of him. Uh, Zubak is up. Uh, he has a team option, so don't know if the Clippers will renew that or if they're looking to do something else when it comes to getting elite-level rim protection as well. So some questions here, but again, all is not lost because you'll have Norman Powell, Kawhi, and PG, and those are going to be three great, great, great guys to defend on the wing, and hopefully not a lot of stuff is getting to the rim ultimately. So now this kind of helps us you know, and I appreciate the way that you kind of had it kind of rolled us into this this part of the question, because now I want to address, you know, the zombie in the room. OK, this is our zombie in the room question. When We're talking about PG Kawhi Leonard. OK, how much longer do you think the Clippers are going to continue to hold on to this fantasy? Um, and, and I say this because it really is a fantasy right now. There has been no true measurement of the level of greatness that this team could potentially be since these signings. It has always been something. It is either an injury, a, a mishap of circumstance, whatever it is. And, and I'm not here for the excuses. I'm just saying that there does come a point where you really have to start wondering how long do you continue to hold on to this idea that having these two guys on the same team is going to translate to them eventually getting over the hump and getting to an NBA Finals. Not even winning an NBA Finals. I'm saying getting to the NBA Finals. Tyron Lue has proven that he can get you to the Conference Finals. You give him the right team, he has proven that he can at least get you there. Okay? But, obviously, the most important component and pieces in determining how you're building this team around is predicated on whether or not you're going to actually have both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the basketball court at the same time for however long is necessary for you to have that confidence of saying this team is built to make that play, to make that run. Where are we going to finally get to that point? I, mean, I know you're going to say, well, it's got to be this year. I'm just saying, do we continue to hold on to this fantasy of believing that that's what's going to happen because it just doesn't seem like it ever will? Actually, you no, know, I, I think we're going to see this for two more years. Um, they're, they're under contract till 24, 25, and they both have player options at that point, making $48 million. So I think they're going to get next year under their belt, see what happens the year after that as well. And then when it's their player options years, then, you know, maybe they're looking to trade them off, even though those guys will opt into that $48 million, like almost certainly, um, I think the Clippers have a two-year window with these two guys as their elite horses, especially with the other supplemental pieces around it. Again, Norman Powell's contract comes up after two years. Marcus Morris's contract comes up after two years. Um, I think Kennard's contract is, is a team option after that. So basically two years on him as well. And Reggie Jackson's is actually next year. So there, I think they're looking at a two-year window to see, it's like, all right, can we keep these two guys healthy? Are they what we want to be? <clears throat> Can we build around them in, in the way that gives us a, a level of a championship contender? And like I said, if they can address some of the playmaking stuff, maybe some rim protection as well, too, I think they'll be fine. So I, I say two years before we see this Clippers iteration breaks up. You're tuned to the baseline. Callie Warren Shaw discussing the hot button topics of the NBA. And this is our coveted autopsy report discussing the Los Angeles Clippers and the successfully unsuccessful season <laughs> that led uh, to them getting ousted uh, in the play-in tournament. So with 
so with that being said, I think one of the things that we were trying to focus our, our attention on, Shaw, and you had mentioned this, is, you know, obviously for the next two years, the intent is to build around this team. You've touched on Terrence Mann. He had such a roller coaster season. Um, it's ironic because I feel like the most important or most valuable player for this basketball team outside of the acquisition of Norman Powell um, was Luke Kennard, who unfortunately got injured and was unavailable uh, for them. But I, I think it kind of raises more of that end-all, be-all thing. Like, the way that the Clippers have their roster set up a little bit, um, was it built similarly to, like, how, say, the Miami Heat was built? Or, or very similarly to, say, um, the uh, Boston Celtics, you know, teams that genuinely like to shoot the three. Um, you've got a sharpshooter in, in Luke Kennard, and he has established himself as one of the premier shooters in the game of basketball. Um, do you start looking at opening up the offense more for the over these next two years uh, to really play up his value uh, for him to be that kind of guy that can come in and really score the basketball for you um, to help provide a viable third option. And I, I can't stress this enough. When it comes to, you know, your ability to compete, you need a third guy. You need a third score. I don't care if it's a guy that comes off the bench. I really don't care if he's one of your starters. But what it is is that it's got to be a guy who essentially is going to be able to put that ball in the basket when your two stars are unable to or have been slowed down or stymied through the course of an NBA game. Luke Kennard kind of looks like that guy at times. I just don't know if whether or not the offense is built around establishing that for him. But clearly when you're shooting somewhere around 45% from three, you got to figure out a way to get this guy more touches and he's got to have more opportunities to shoot that basketball if and eventually when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George enter the floor. Like right now, a lot of it is based off of circumstance because they don't have them both on the floor. He'll take those shots. But my concern is, He'll suddenly fade away into the sunset simply when you do get these two guys back when he really could potentially be a great third option for you. Um, or do you look at probably going free agency and, and bringing in, you know, a, a veteran player, a, a quote-unquote Carmel, Carmelo Anthony kind of guy um, you come in who can just get you instant buckets and don't have to worry about creating an offense around that third option? Now, I think I'd push back here. I think they they think their third option is Norman Powell. So I think he's a guy who's going to be giving them buckets, um, kind of staggering maybe some minutes as well, too. And Kennard is going to be more in the Joe Harris role, if you will, Seth Curry role, as a release valve, you know, camping out in the corners. Yeah, he can do a little bit of initiating some offenses here and there, too. But he really is meant to be a shooter as a relief valve for those guys, you know, especially those, those strong wings who are driving to the basket and have somewhere to kick out when they get double and even sometimes triple team. So if you're trying to elevate Canard to be, you know, a guy who's going to score 16, 70 points per game for you regularly. Um, I don't think that's, that's probably the way to go, especially when you have, you know, a very capable scorer, Norman Powell, who can give you those 17 to 18 a game alongside PG's 20 and 22, 24, and whatever Kawhi is giving you until probably in the 25, 26 range. So Canard to me is more of a relief release valve type guy. And that's how he can keep his percentages high where he's not having to shoot at a, a, a crazy amount of volume on a regular basis, you know, getting 10 to 12 shots a game. And primarily most of those, maybe eight to 10 of those 12 shots are coming from three specifically. Um, I think that's where he's probably best suited and how the Clippers envision utilizing him in the seasons to come. Well, it's interesting that you say that Sean, and, and I'm not going to say I'm pushing back because I often felt like part of the reason why Norman Powell does get his is because he's always been someone to come in and help uh, the second line or the, you know, the, the, uh, the second tier team, the second, uh, the second team. Um, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think, like, I think they, they, they the could very unit. well stagger that. Right. They, they could interchange. Powell could probably be a more typical proto prototypical scorer off the bench, or they can have him in the lineup. Well, do, well let me ask you this. Do you think you, well, do you think that you've seen enough of a sample size where you think that he can flow with Paul George and flow with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I, you know, we haven't seen him with Kawhi Leonard. So I really, I'm, I, I'm, you see, I'm not going to sit here and say that, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty seamless. I've listened, I've seen where Norman Powell has been a great asset when he was in Portland. Okay. Um, and he was supposed to be uh, that kind of guy when you have Dame Lillard and, and CJ McCollum. Um, he gave you essential minutes, 
you know, which I guess is what quote unquote led to his claim to fame for him, you know, to be given the money that he's been given between these two teams, respectively, given what he showed you in Toronto. I think to me, the dynamic is, is that how, you know, where or how does that translate to what you're talking about? Simply because a lot of it has been him coming off of the bench rather than him really from a starter perspective, uh, you know, being utilized in the way that you're describing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I think I understand what you're saying, but for me, it's just that the Clippers will have options ultimately. So if they want to be more defensive to start the start the start the games, <clears throat> Powell's probably the guy you're starting off with. You know, especially mean guarding guys two, mm-hmm. three, four, whatever the case may be, and Kennard is maybe a guy coming up the bench, or you can flip it where Kennard is just initially that that release file. But I'm what I'm saying in terms of the overall touches and what the Clippers will ultimately probably expect in terms of points per game out of those two guys. They're probably looking at Powell as more of a slasher and overall scorer, where Carnard is more of a specialist because of his three-point shoot. All right. Well, listen, I, I'm not, not disagreeing with you on that at all. It'll be interesting to see how Tyron Lou deploys the team um, and, and where the focus and attention is. And I guess, listen, it's, it's, it, you can never have enough of a, of a, of a good thing. Right. No, for sure. uh, that kind of versatility, I think, bolds well. All right. So you mentioned a, a little bit earlier ago, Shaw, um, and we can use this as a way to kind of help properly eulogize the uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. You mentioned how this team definitely needs help from the front court perspective. Um, they surprisingly have gotten a lot of contributions from uh, Nicholas Batum. Um, but it obviously seems like uh, Zubak took a step back this year. What do you do um, as far as the focus and the attention on this team um, to have sustainability from the front court position? Now, they, they did rebound the ball decently. Um, I think those numbers can be, um, you know, can be curbed a little bit simply because, you know, they do not have healthy swing players um, throughout the whole course of the year, which I think would help supplement that part of it. But when you look at this team, Shaw, the reliability in their in their um, effectiveness to score the basketball from the front court position, I'm sure, is also what's hindered them as well, too. So what will be the focus or what will be the priority? Um, do you keep a guy like Zubak on? Um, do you believe that he still should be a starter for your team? Or do you start looking at something a little bit more dynamically different given the versatility that you will have with your swing players and ultimately what you might be looking to do with your backcourt? I mean, I think that's... That's the million dollar question. You know, Zubak again has the 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 team option, so seven million dollars. It's not otherworldly. <laughs> you know, you could just bring him back and kind of see where the chips fall and see again just by by the virtue of Kawhi and, and others kind of being here and building some continuity. It's like, all right, can you get by with that? Um, if you want to try to go splashy, and I can only say this with this team because Bomber doesn't care about spending money, doesn't care about paying the tax, so they can really try to go and get whoever they really wanted to if they think it's an absolute fit. But maybe a guy like Mo Bamba, who's probably played himself out of Orlando just by virtue of everything that's going on there. Uh, maybe a younger version, um, you know, of a well, not a younger version, but just a younger guy to kind of come into the, into that space and who can also quote quote space the floor for you um, and still be give you some some level of rim protection. Maybe that's somebody that they can look at if they're looking into into the offseason. And there there'll be no shortage of. I think big men because the big men market right now is, is you know, it's definitely a, a buyer's market, if you will. You can probably go out there and, and find anybody that you want. Maybe even a guy like Moses Brown, um, obviously not not from a shooting standpoint, but from a rebounding and rim, rim protection standpoint. You know, he finished the season off in Cleveland. So I think there's going to be things I need to figure out. But keeping Zubak isn't the end of the world, you know, especially if it's just a $7 million, you know, um, transaction for them. But if they wanted to move on and figure out ways to get, you know, deeper level rebounding, rim protection, or maybe even some shooting at that four or five spot, you know, I think they'll, they'll have options. But I, li- I like where they're at because, again, they're, they're not afraid to spend money. You have a, a hall of favor com- coming back. And I think you're really just trying to do things on the edges, if you will, to kind of complement what both PG and Kawhi give you. All right. Well, as we as we mentioned before, unfortunately, the Los Angeles Clippers just didn't have enough for them to be able to hang in and continue their their playoff run. Uh, but certainly, I think there's some promise there. Um, the final thing I think I want to ask Shaw, and we can just you know dive into this real quick. Do do we feel like the Los Angeles Clippers are ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers? And and what I'm saying by this is just extract 
the the real crappy season that the Los Angeles Lakers have had because they did win a championship over within the last three years. My question is, the way that the Clippers are built right now, are they built to be more successfully better uh, moving forward than where we see the Los Angeles Lakers? The battle for Los Angeles, you know, is is the are the Clippers ahead of the game a little bit? I mean, if you're looking at the totality of the roster, where everybody fits, age, et cetera, et cetera, um, coaching stability right now, today, the Clippers are in a better position, you know, and the Lakers are obviously going to make moves to, to transition that. We'll get to them in, in whenever um, we do their autopsy. But the question today is like, yeah, who would you rather be right now, today, in, in mid-April? Um, I'd rather be the Clippers. All right. And, and it, do you feel that there is a rivalry with the with the Lakers? <laughs> no, I do not. Okay. I do not. Good. I just wanted to make that point. <laughs> Shout outs to my uh to, to to Clippers Nation who still think that there's a rivalry there. Anyway, uh this is uh Cali Warren Shaw, the baseline NBA podcast. Coming up, we are gonna focus our attention on the Cleveland Cavaliers. And while we often eulogize the Cleveland Cavaliers, I do think that we can kind of lighten it up a little bit. And maybe talk a little bit more positively because I don't think that we expected the kind of season that J.B. Bickerstaff and his boys have had. Needless to say, we still got to bury them bodies. But nonetheless, it is probably a good feel of how we're properly burying this team. So more about the Cavaliers coming up here on The Baseline. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We are back. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, the Baseline NBA podcast. And second team that we're going to be discussing for our autopsy report is going to be the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, typically when we talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's always about how bad they are. They're among the worst team in basketball. Uh, Gilbert and his team just, you know, they, they cannot live beyond the LeBron James errors. Um, but this is finally uh, the jump-off point for the, for, the, for the Cleveland Cavaliers because while this team is a part of our autopsy, they really have had a hell of a season. And I, I cannot say, you know, nothing but, you know, really glowing things. It, it's kind of like when you, you Sean, when you, go to a, when you go to a funeral and it's somebody who's passed away who they brought so much joy that it would be a detriment for the service to go where everything just seems so downtrodden and so, you know, lost in, in the sorrow of everything when the one thing that they would have asked you to do is be happy for them, enjoy them, um, enjoy the moment of them. And I think this is what we have to do when we talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers because they've been such a bad basketball team for so long that while we do have to do this, it's probably more with joy that we discuss this Cleveland Cavaliers basketball team and what they accomplished this year and what their future can actually look like beyond the idea that this is like a one-hit wonder. You know what I mean? Like this is to me, 
is 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 probably the most important thing that you should take from us doing this autopsy about the Cleveland Cavaliers is there is a future for the Cleveland Cavaliers. There's a there's a there's a, a you know a, a light at the end of the tunnel there that they can shoot towards. This is a team that is not going away, and with the proper moves, they will be a threat, a legitimate threat in not just their division but ultimately in their conference. Yeah, I think I tweeted out after they, you know, they lost uh, to Atlanta and obviously they kind of did blow that game. You know, it feels it feels worse than it probably really is because of how hot they started the season and they just weren't unable to sustain it for a variety of reasons. Injuries being, I think, chief among those reasons why they were unable to kind of win things out. I mean, this team was on pace to win 50 games. You know, they really were. And it just... It, the bottom just fell out from the Rubio injury. First, there was Colin Sexton, then Rubio, you know, then then Mobley had two major injuries. Marketing missed a bunch of time. Then obviously the huge, huge injury to Jared Allen at the end of the year, and he wasn't able to come back until the playing game itself. Like, those are all starters for them, with the exception of Rubio. Um, and then even Carol Subert coming in, he came in, got hurt immediately, <laughs> and then he was in and out of the lineup. They just had absolutely no luck when it came to that um and they weren't able to continue to build a continuity and it really was just like you said a patchwork that that jb continued to have to do and the fact that they remained above 500 still got into the playing game with the chance to actually get into the actual playoffs is a true testament but i understand where it started and how it ended are two very vastly different feelings but it shouldn't be taken away from the overall success that was this cavalier season yeah it it's it's remarkable what they were able to achieve. Um, and, and I guess the first thing that we want to focus our attention to, maybe if there's something that we do have to, you know, uh, uh, you know, put in a body bag is probably the um, the the career of Colin Sexton as a Cleveland Cavaliers star guard. <laughs> it's just I, I don't know where you're going to find the ability to have both him and Garland on the floor. Don't think it's going to happen. I think that if, if you are the Cleveland Cavaliers, you need to, you know, recognize the star, you know, potential that you have in Garland. Is there a way that both of these guys can be on the court at the same time, Shaw? Or do you really have to start thinking about, okay, we're going to have to figure out a way to move this kid while there's still some value to him? Yes, he suffered a, a, a major injury, but prior to that, he was a successful guard. He was probably their star, you know, player, like marketing-wise. So there is there is value to him. And do you immediately start looking at that prospect of, of moving him immediately in the offseason? Because you've got to make way for the combination of Mobley, Allen, and Garland as the future core of your basketball team. I, I think if they're smart, what they do this offseason is they, they tend to the qualifying offer. And they, they look to be able to match anything that he gets out there. And then you look to potentially sign and trade him. And maybe you flip him for some more shooting, you know, maybe a draft pick or two, whatever the case would be. And then that way you can kind of let the rest of that roster build because one way or another, I don't like all those guys can't start. Right. So if, if you have Sexton there and they were making that work to begin the year, um, Garland, Sexton, Markinen, Mobley, and, and Jared Allen were, the, were their starting lineup. But now with the acquisition of Karis LeVert, and that's why I, hey, man, <laughs> this Cavs team, they tried. Somebody went down. Well, they they made a move and traded to get somebody else. Remember, they even brought in Rondo at some point this yeah. year. They they just they did not give up. They're like, no, we, we, this is our year. We see it opening. We've got to continue to try. Um, but now, again, with everybody potentially coming back, I don't know if all of those parts fit or if you can make them fit. Yes, you can send Sexton to the bench. Yes, you can send Levert to the bench. But is that what you really want to do? They're not they're similarly skilled in terms of like in terms of the way that they both want to score. Neither one of them are great playmakers. Neither one of them are great shooters. Sexton can get hot and, and, and score and fill it up. But I think they probably want more actual shooting, like in the ways of like a Luke Kennard, like we were talking about earlier with, with the Clippers. So I think you flip Sexton rather and, and try to build out the roster a little bit more to have that that depth that you have. Um, obviously, you still have Kevin Love. He's been a great soldier for them for the entirety of that, but he's on his 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 deal is finally expiring after next season. So I think this roster is is going to look very similar, but I think you're going to just get some auxiliary parts, and I think a lot of it's going to come at the expense of losing Colin Sexton. How effective do you think Levert was for the Cleveland Cavaliers? I, I it's kind of funny, Shaw. Like when I saw when I've seen him play, um, I, I I'm I'm often baffled 
right? Like I, I see like this star potential, and just when he's about to to send, he he gets injured, <laughs> and yeah. we we don't see the finished product. And I and and I uh, very similar to like what we were just talking about a few moments ago with the Los Angeles Clippers. How long do you hold on to that fantasy of what he potentially can give you, knowing that at any given moment it's um it's 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 a it's a China piece, um, you know that if if fall if if it falls breaks into several pieces in which you have to piece it back together again. It may look like it's like how it was when it was originally whole, but it just never feels that way. It never appears that way because you already know that if it happens again, you got to start from scratch again. Yeah. I mean, I think feel good stories like the Cavs, they typically don't tear things down like to the, to the studs. Right. And I think with LeVert just getting there, they realize, Hey, it was a, it was a, a, a hard fit coming in middle of the year. Then he had the injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's got one year left on his deal. So I think they can kind of play him out next year. That's why I said I don't think he'll be the one to move. I feel like it will probably be Sexton because they can get off of Levert's contract that they feel like, okay, he's not the fit that we ultimately wanted. And then, again, it, even midseason, you know, Levert's feel like he's been moved around a lot here in the last couple of years. But if they come midseason, like, all right, it's not working out. Oh, he's always injured. Well, maybe they try to get off of him now. And, again, it's an expiring deal. And maybe they try to get some 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 assets. I think what this team – well, not I think I know this team is banking on, obviously, the continued immersion of Evan Mobley. And I think that kind of pushes some of the other guys down the depth chart a lot anyway. So like you don't have to have uh, Levert being super, super, uh, not necessarily even efficient because you obviously want it to be efficient, but high volume in terms of his touches and his scoring because you're probably going to get more touches from Mobley now in, in that second season. And Garland's still same thing, another year, you know, getting under his belt too. So those two guys are really the future. Jared Allen is a nice complimentary piece. Um, and I think he had an amazing season. But I would expect, especially what we saw from Mobley, for him to maybe even usurp Allen in terms of overall touches this year and be right there with Garland, those two guys leading this team. All right, so one of the things that we obviously see with this basketball team, Shaw, is that they are a really good, young, feisty defensive basketball team. Offensively, they suck, okay? Um, I, I, I'm not saying that it is, is to say that Garland is not a potential all-star Mobley is not a potential all-star. You essentially have two potential all-stars in the next coming years. Um, but overall, this basketball team just struggled to score the basketball. Um, what's going to have to change? Now, it's interesting because typically when we talk about this, if you're someone like J.B. Bickerstaff and your team is winning basketball games, regardless of how bad your team offensively struggles, to me it lends to the idea that defensively, your team limits the other team's opportunity to score. And offensively, your team positions yourself to maximize what few opportunities you give yourself to score the basketball. They're not great when it comes to pace, which tells me that maybe this is a basketball team that has opportunity to, to be more transitional, to be a little bit quicker. Yeah. But at the same time, we've seen that the most effective basketball teams never really worry about the pace if they know that they have a really good half-court game. So where does a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers find that balance that they can be able to elevate their offensive ability to score without compromising what they've accomplished and achieved defensively. Well, I'll, I'll say two points, right? The, the Cavaliers are, are 20th in fast, fast rate points, and that's to be expected with running around with three seven-footers and you're starting to line up on a regular basis, <laughs> right? Like, so they're, they're never going to be the gazelles we, we, out there. Well, we, but we've seen, we've seen, the, uh, we've seen you know, Carl Anthony Towns break the big man barrier, right? <laughs> Have you seen Carl Anthony Towns run? Our guy JP, well, yeah, no, our I'm guy just JP on 19 Media Group, he put out an amazing tweet over the weekend. It was like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns runs like his body parts are fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, like that's a wild stuff. And then I think again with, with Cavaliers having three seven footers out there, that's tough. And then you know your your best bench player is Kevin Love, who's you know like. 57 years old man like they're just they're they're not built for that that kind of pace currently so i think where they can potentially be more efficient offensively is is stop turning the ball over and you would expect that to be the case from a young team but you know uh 22nd in overall turnovers this year if they can clean that up and bring that down and get into like you know the 14 range or whatever then you'll see them valuing possessions more and then hopefully that offense being a little bit more efficient in general but again with Mobley potentially getting more touches, Garland just understanding the NBA, you know, at, at another different level. Hopefully you get Levert to be a little bit more subtle into his role. And if you get somebody, 
I think they do need some more shooting. They're 15th in three-point percentage, but there's nobody on that team. You're like, oh, no, don't let him shoot it. Like Nobody scares you. Even, you know, a guy like Osmond who's supposed to be quote-unquote a shooter. Like, no one's scared of those guys. You know, I think Love is probably the the most consistent outside threat that they have, along with Markin, and I think when he can get hot as well, too. So um, if they can get maybe a knockdown wing shooter as well, too, because O'Curl, I don't think he's going to develop develop into that, then you'll see some offensive efficiency kind of increase right now. But, yeah, trying to have them become this fast-breaks team that's going to have a lot of pace, not look not very likely with their current roster construction. All right, so if you're to your point, right, and this basketball team is going to figure out a way to be to be, to be be balanced – what do you where do you think has been the knock on JB Bickerstaff and his and his ability to sustain you know his his um his ability to coach right like I, I we we've we've had him on a show we think he's a fat he's fantastic he is he is the future of what you want um, in regards to coaching up some of these young guys to get themselves NBA ready uh, to be able to compete we also have to recognize as well too. That there come there does come a point sometimes when we see you know after a certain sample size is this the best that he can get out of the group of guys that he is often given? We've also seen situations where guys like JB Vickerstaff have never been given the personnel that that he needs in order for his team to elevate to where he expects them to be or wants them to be. Um, where are we when we talk about what JB Bickerstaff has been able to to accomplish and achieve? And, I, and I'm not saying this because I'm wanting to rob the the joy of what he's accomplished. I think what I'm saying is is that is this a true identity? Is this season that just took place a true ref, reflection of the way that JB Bickerstaff coaches? Can it be considered sustainable to in an incremental level um, for his ability to be respected as one of those top coaches that we should be looking for? Um, given what he's done with this roster? I mean, I think just this year alone, like you, you saw the buy-in and nobody but he and I guess that organization thought they could run around with three seven-footers out there and make it work. And again, had they not had all the injuries, you know, it's it, it seems like they would have been at least a six seed, you know what I mean, and been comfortably into the playoffs. Like I, I just, I don't believe that they would have fall, fallen this far. So to your point, I think the rest of the roster, he can only do so much with, you know what I mean? You're continuing to cycle guys in and guys are coming in and out of lineup. Like that's just hell for any coach, no matter what, how good or bad you actually are. Um, so I think he did the best he possibly could. And I think when you're looking at what they're doing for the future, the development, the buy-in, all of those key things that coaches need to be able to inspire on the sidelines, he has it. He has them. He has that team bought in. So I'd be interested to see where they go in terms of a draft pick. I don't know how many draft picks they actually have coming into this year's draft, um, but what they're able to do with it, as it will probably be somewhere in the high low, high part of the lottery, like, you know, 14, 13, something like that. So uh, I don't know what's available there. I'm not a draft specialist. I don't follow the college game, you know, intensely, but if they can get, you know, again, some potentially more shooting, um, maybe another playmaker, if you will, to, to back up Garland, because um, I don't know if Rondo will be back. And obviously Rubio is, has been traded. Um, those are some things that I think they can they can figure out roster wise, but I don't think they have an issue at coaching at all. All right. A um, couple of people I just want to focus our attention to before we eulogize, excuse me, the, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers properly. Um, Laurie Markkinen, you know, my young son. Um, what do you make of, you know, his season? Give me your, you know, your progress report uh, regarding him uh, elevating himself out of the, you know, the black cloud that kind of hung over him during his stint with Chicago. Is this new ground you know is this a fresh start for him or did he just kind of you know placate himself a little bit like he got hot a little bit got a little recognition when, you know when the cleveland cavaliers are doing some things and then suddenly you know again just fades off into the background uh to being one of those guys where you know he looks really good inside the, the you know the, the the window you know what i'm saying when if you window shopping but then when you actually go and look up look at it up close and personal um you know, you probably would have still been better off having Kevin Love playing that role or position, um, you know, throughout the course of the regular season. What do we make of our young son here or my young son? I, I think marketing was more than solid. You know, the fact that he acquiesced and played a role. And I think JB did a good job and even saying, hey, you know what, we're going to start three seven footers and allowing that to happen. I think had he been forced to come off the bench, maybe he would have been a little bit more resistant. But he started every single game he played this year. 61 games, 61 games started. 
So I think he just, he understood, Hey, they, they, they appreciate me here and they did a good job of embracing him. And he then in turn did a great job of embracing his role. He had his highest uh, offensive rating of his career at 117, you know, playing within this lineup shot 36% from three, which isn't his highest per se, but um, you know, it's right around his kind of overall career mark. So that part of the game, I think we made a lot of sense. You know, and he did what he needed to do defensively, I think, as well, too, especially being, you know, a, a kind of a lumbering big, if you will, not super switchable. But they did a great job in terms of scheming. They ran some zones and I think they were able to hide him um, and maybe his lack of mobility on, on the perimeter um, where he would have been guarding some of those threes, if you will, out there. So I think Mark had a good season. man, And, you know, again, the offensive efficiency kind of proves that with his overall offensive rating being the best of his career. Do you think that the uh, Cavaliers should bring back Rondo? Uh, I, I... I don't know if it matters, you know, I don't know how much he, he did on the sidelines, if you will, you know, or in the locker room with, with Darius Garland. And there are some reports that, Hey, you know, Hey, cozy him up. And, you know, they did a good job there. Um, I just don't have enough information to kind of make that determination because Rondo's impact on the court wasn't all that same thing was hurt <laughs> the majority of the season. So you could do it, but if they didn't, I don't think it would be like this big, big loss that, you know, the Cavs are like, Oh my God, I can't believe they didn't bring Rajon Rondo back. All right. So let's properly eulogize this team, Shaw, again. Um, hell of a season uh, to be where they were predicted to finish the year, which wasn't even to be considered sniffed, looked at as a play-in team. They were supposed to be among the worst uh, teams in the uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, to eventually having an opportunity, a chance for them uh, to be participating in the playoffs. And, and listen, all things considered, they gave the Brooklyn Nets a run for the money. They gave um, the Atlanta Hawks uh, a, a run for the money. Two teams that were in the playoffs last season, right? Um, one made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, which makes you even you know wonder like how far off you know that team, the Atlanta Hawks, uh, has fallen off, right? In, in the sense that you don't have as much confidence about them running the table to get to the t- to, to get to the finals. Um, to me, it speaks volumes about the job that J.B. Bickerstaff has done with this basketball team. And while there is clearly deficiencies there, um, hopefully a lot of those will be addressed by them getting healthier. And certainly Colby Altman is, you know, he's got to feel good coming into this upcoming offseason, uh, being able to sell guys on the fact that you got a young, really, really, really potentially viable basketball team with a lot of room for improvement. And whether you're draft pick, or you're someone coming in from free agency, you know, who needs a destination for you, maybe as a reclamation project, maybe as somebody who can help table, um, you know, a little bit of the skepticism and criticism that comes your way, you can probably fly under the radar and yet still be competing very heavily and highly if you're with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, I agree. Um, And they have some team options that they probably will you know, maybe the decline, Lynn Wilder, Dean Wade, maybe those guys aren't back. Obviously, they're going to look to extend Garland. Obviously, they're going to look to extend Okoro. And then, you know, they'll have, I say they have a whole lot of cap flexibility, but they'll at least they'll have some interest, I think, from players out there looking for new destinations. And then I think whatever they end up doing with Colin Sexton, again, they could just bring him back and say, hey, you know what? We were we were rolling to begin the year before he got injured and, and see what it is. Like, I think that's plausible. I just, like I said earlier, would probably go a different route and try to get some deeper level um, depth on this team by, by flipping him for some of the supplemental parts. But all things are on the table when it comes to that level of roster construction. I think the Cavaliers, while they're not ever going to be a true free agent destination, um, playing alongside a guy like Mobley, Garland, and their great coach like J.B. Bickerstaff gives them more buy-in and more juice, I think, with the outside NBA community and players looking for a good fit um, and not worried about just location of where they are, but looking for, hey, a good young team where maybe they can help and you know get them to the next level. They have a better space in that now than they did, say, a year ago. All right. Well, there you have it, man. And, you know, once I, like once I said uh, earlier before, um, no regrets in zipping up and bodying up this Cleveland Cavaliers basketball team. Um, this is a team that will joyfully raise itself from the dead, and and probably they themselves are going to probably be burying more teams in this next this upcoming season uh, than they have been themselves. So, <laughs> you know, like I I'm I'm a little I feel a little bit more positive about that, um, seeing what these guys were able to accomplish, and I think I'm good with that. What about you? Yeah, man, this isn't contentious at all. This is really, again, as they say, sometimes when people pass, it's a celebration of life. So this is a celebration of what the Cavaliers were able to do. Yes, it was unexpected, at least by anybody outside of Cleveland. um, And it ended in a way that they are very disappointed about. But looking holistically, great 
and a stellar season for a team. And they got it right with their pick and Evan Mobley, man. <laughs> that guy's going to be an absolute monster. So I'm excited for this, this Cleveland Cavaliers team, what they're going to be able to do next year. And hopefully, hopefully the basketball gods will bless them and allow them to stay healthy so we can see and they can realize their full potential. All right. Well, once again, man, we appreciate you and yours for hopping on board with us this week. Uh, we really obviously, you know, we have fun when we do these autopsy reports. Um, and this will obviously not be the last teams that we will be covering through the course of not just the NBA playoffs, but also in the offseason as well, too. So be sure to check us out and to catch the it catches, you know, every episode that we drop. Uh, where we'll be covering all of these teams um, and doing our coveted autopsy report. For the baseline, Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for hopping on board with us this week. We'll catch up with you next time. here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.